Welcome to episode six of the NP Dude, where NPs have a voice. This is Jeff, the NP Dude, and today I want to talk about malpractice. This is a big one, right? This this could be probably a dozen episodes in and of itself, and I could sit down and talk about this for hours and hours and hours, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to give you maybe 20 minutes, 30 minutes, I don't know, until I get tired of talking. Uh, but I'm going to give you a just a primer on what medical malpractice, nurse practitioner malpractice really means and uh, why it matters. And knowing what the definitions of things are sometimes is important. It could be helpful for you uh, just in your everyday practice to know what your limits of liability are as far as to an individual, not insurance. I'm not talking insurance liability. I'm talking your liability. And what the standards of care are. And there's, these are all words that are legal meanings that I'll get into and some definitions and things like that I think are just kind of important basic information that any professional should know. This is not a show just for nurse practitioners. It's not a show for physicians. It's a show for everybody everywhere. It doesn't matter. This is tort liability. Okay, So tort liability in general is like a whole year of law school, right? Is tort liabilities, one whole section. You have a whole year of contracts, a whole year of constitutional law, and a whole year of tort liability. Everybody gets this, right? So all lawyers know about tort liability. Tort comes from the word twist, to contort, right? Contort, tort. And the idea is that it's physical harm. So I always think of like grabbing a little kid's arm and you just twist it, and some mean lady grabbing a kid's arm, and they're hurting them, physically hurting them. It's a tort. Okay. Now, there's a couple large categories of tort liability. There's intentional torts, which God help you if you're doing intentional torts. Those are, you know, I'm intentionally trying to hurt people. That's borderline criminal, right? That's certainly going to get you a chance to lose your license and probably lose all licenses and never get one again. But then there's unintentional tort. And this is where the gray area is. This is where the, well, maybe, questions come from. So unintentional torts are the ones that you have insurance for. An intentional tort, no insurance policy will ever allow you to intentionally, I willingly want to go and hurt somebody today. I willingly want to do the wrong surgery on somebody because I just am a jerk. Or I want to intentionally cause physical harm to somebody and that's not what we're here for, right? So no insurance is going to cover that, but they do cover the unintentional. I really didn't mean it. I just screwed up. Whoops. The whoopses. It's the whoops case situation. That's when insurance kicks in. And I'm not going to get into an insurance discussion today, although I could spend another day talking about insurance policies and things like that. And That's another topic for another day. I do plan on doing that one, but that one's going to require having some documents in front of me because I don't want to miss anything when I do that one. And as you can maybe hear, I'm out on the road on my way back from the office. So unintentional torts, you pretty much have to have three things for someone to have a case against you. That doesn't mean you're not going to get sued. It just means that they're not, they're going to win or not win. They're going to be hung on three things. And this is pretty much common law. That's pretty standard throughout the country. So you could take this and, and apply it to pretty much any state uh, and it's going to keep you safe. If you follow these rules, you're going to be safe everywhere, pretty much. The first one is that 
I as a as a practitioner, I as a, a bricklayer, I as a professional. And then we're talking professional liability now. We're not talking individuals just driving down the road. Although you can apply these tests to those too. But someone that's in business doing something, okay? The first prong test of the three prongs is I owe a duty to the person that was claiming that they were injured by me. So what's a duty? Well, the law is pretty generous in saying there's a duty owed. So if I have someone walk into my practice and says, I want I want to be your patient, and I say, yes, you're my patient, I now owe them a duty. It's pretty easy. That's an easy one. Now, what if somebody's walking down the street in front of my office building, and they collapse, and I stand there in the window and look out the window, and I just watch them? Do I owe that person a duty? Probably not. Am I a jerk for not going and helping? Yeah, you bet. But I don't owe them necessarily a duty under the eyes of the law. So that's the first one is duty. Is there a duty owed? Do I owe them a duty? Okay. The second one, and I'm going to do them out of order from law school because I think it's easier to remember them when I do it this way. The second one is, was the person injured? So you had a whole crap ton of law school cases that we read where people were owed a duty and they, you know, and all this stuff, but they really couldn't claim an injury. It just made the other person look like a jerk. Well, there really wasn't an injury. You can't sue somebody for it. So was this person really harmed? Most of the cases don't fall on these first two. Two problems, these two prongs. So the duty owed, that's pretty easy. They're going to give you, that's a gimme. You're going to kind of get that one usually. Okay, so you're, you're the, the other person, the, the, the patient that's suing you for malpractice is going to win on that one, the duty owed. The second one is, were they harmed? Well, most likely if they weren't harmed, they're not going to be bugging you with a lawsuit. So it's the people that are really, you know, they, you cut off the wrong leg. Whoops. Yeah, that's kind of a harm, right? Because now you have the other one cut off and now you got no legs. That's, that's kind of a big deal. So is there a harm? Uh, most of the time they're going to win that one because they're going to have some physical, emotional, some kind of component to it that, that maybe you, you caused a problem. Now, careful with this because in some states it's mandatory that to get emotional distress and things like that, you have to actually have a physical manifestation of harm. So here's the example I always use for this one. If you're driving down the road and somebody rear-ends you, in your car, right? And you're not hurt. They just broke your bumper. And you get out of the car, and everything's fine. You're not hurt. Your car's hurt, but you aren't hurt. You're not going to get emotional distress because it really wasn't that bad of an injury to your to your entire self. It just broke your car. You're not going to have you know emotional distress claim because you know somebody rear-ended you on on the back street. Now, if you peed your pants and fell on the ground screaming and crying. Technically, by the, some of the states, you could say, "Yeah, I've got a physical manifestation. I, I, you, you hit me so hard that I lost my, control of my bowel and bladder, and now I have emotional distress." In some states, that's considered enough, and the, the courts tend to be more pro-plaintiff than defendant. 
especially when it's insurance companies and companies that are fighting you know individuals so you have to be careful with that one but that's that's kind of the outrageous claim so that was what my legal advice people say hey if i get in a car wreck what should i do i said pee your pants because then you might be able to get emotional distress and i always just joke with people about that if i've given you that advice i was only joking i wasn't serious but it is true in some states so that's the harm question. Most people can prove a harm. If, if they're suing you, they can prove a harm. Um, it could be, you know, you killed my liver because you gave me the wrong medicine, or you gave me two medicines that I had a, uh, you know, some kind of weird reaction and you should have known, or you didn't take me off the Coumadin and you did my surgery, uh, or, you know, something along those lines. Those, there's going to be a harm associated, or I, I, you should have known that I uh, was showing signs of a stroke, and you didn't send me to the ER, and you sent me home, and next thing you know, I had a huge stroke, and you know somebody died, or they're incapacitated, or something like that. So it, it could be a known or should have known, or it could be a malfeasance, which is I just did a bad job and didn't know, or I didn't even didn't do a good assessment or something I didn't do. Those are all things that fall under that that um, that duty owed type of thing. Now, where this gets gray and they kind of overlap, and this is the hardest prong to really put a hammer on on the head of the nail, is the standard was the standard of care breached. So you have a duty owed by one party to another. There was a physical harm. We can prove that. That's easy. So-and-so's hurt. And then, did they really owe them a duty that that was the standard of the care, the duty within the standard of care? And was it breached? That's where all the arguments fall. So when, when you have a patient that comes in, and uh, they come to your family practice, and they're, uh, you know, maybe they are got some GI problems going on. Well, I have a duty to actually assess that, kind of hash it out. And if I feel uncomfortable, like, man, I don't know anything about this, or I can't figure this thing out, I need to consult with a different physician. But I say, no, don't worry about it. It turns out they've got a huge abdominal mass. It turns out they have cancer. Oops. That's a bad day, right? Well, what's the standard of care? Well, I know I had a duty owed. He was my patient. The person's harmed because maybe we could have caught it and saved their life. And, And beyond that, now I've got a standard of care. What's the standard of care? Is it, is it wait a month? Is it wait three months? Is it how many follow-ups do I do with this patient before I realize, man, this is outside of the scope of what I can help with? You know, I don't feel anything. I, maybe I blew the the, the assessment. I, you know, whatever it is, that 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 standard of care needs to be met, right? That's where the arguments are. So, who sets a standard of care? And this is where it gets confusing even more, right? Who sets the standard of care? Well, it's the law. No, the law doesn't set any standard of care. It might, right? I mean, that's a that's a big. It depends. If if you have case law specific to your exact instance, and in that case law they say a reasonable physician or nurse practitioner. In the same or similar circumstance, that's the definition of standard of care, by the way, is what would the reasonably prudent practitioner do in the same or similar circumstance? This is standard of care. It's a pretty easy definition to memorize, but it's sure as hell hard to figure out what that means because now you have to look at 
guidelines put out by agency or organizations that are uh, that are alleged to be the the um, the top authority in that field. Uh, you could look at standard practice by physicians. You could look at what your collaborative does. You could look at what other nurse practitioners in the industry do. You could look at uh, the, that case law that I just mentioned. That maybe that specific case law, which is really hard to find, right? With specific instances, same patient, same age, same you know comorbidities, and in that case, the law says that it you know it, it was unreasonable for this, or it was reasonable for that. That's really hard to find. So the case law is pretty much throw it out the window. It's almost impossible to find that as a standard of care. But usually, you look at that what. The recommendations are CDC guidelines are a good one uh, for immunization schedules as an example so if you're practicing and you're recommending to your patients you know you don't need to do worry about flu shot every year don't worry about it don't do anything if you're saying that to your patients you're going against what the standard of care is because most reasonably prudent practitioners wouldn't say that and why what's the evidence of that because the CDC says so because Family practice guidelines um, say that you should do it, you know, annually. And, and there's study upon study that shows the benefits of immunizations and blah blah blah. Right. So there's a whole bunch of reasons why. But what happens when you have competing, competing information? And the, the example that comes to mind for me, and this is not going to be for the general business people, but what would be the the the, the recommendation? In 2000, early 2017, January, for mammograms, and I'll bet you'll find people that argue until they're blue in the face about what you should recommend, because ACOG is a is a it's not a governing body, but it's it's the American College of Gynecological whatever physicians, right? ACOG. They recommend every year for mammograms as a standard prevention for breast cancer. But when you look at the USPSTF, which is the US government saying this is our recommendation, then you see it's every two years, right? I think that's what it is. It's been a little while since I've looked it up, but I'm pretty sure it's two years. So you've got these competing guidelines. Well, what happens if in a year and a half somebody develops breast cancer and they come back and say, hey, Jeff, you know, thanks for giving, you know, not catching my breast cancer by recommending to get a, the mammogram. I would have done what you were suggested. And you said, uh, go every two years, and now I am getting sued because somebody's got breast cancer that maybe they could have otherwise uh, caught a little earlier and gotten those treatments, maybe a little sooner, and give them a better outcome. Yeesh, I'd feel horrible about that, number one. But feeling guilty and feeling bad about something doesn't make you necessarily legally liable. And that's another thing. Nurses are tend to put things on their shoulders and wear, wear their hearts on their sleeves. And so that, that makes us number two in, in uh, Forbes, I think, uh, as uh, the, the best professions. But it also makes us, I think, victims to um, malpractice suits as well. I mean, we're pretty safe because people tend to like us more than doctors. But that being said, it still puts us out there as, you know, geez, we, I'm really sorry about you getting cancer like that. I, geez, if we would have caught it a month, a year early, maybe we, uh, and we would admit that. Well, that's, you know, the lawyer in me says, Yeesh, zip your lips, don't say that. But the nurse in me says, just be honest, right? I feel bad about that. So that's, those are the gray areas, right? You get kind of stuck in the middle between 
two competing issues or two competing organizations or two competing standards that are out there. And then you debate about it. And, and if you do go to court, which God forbid anybody has to go to court, but the likelihood is out there. The probability is there. It's not a high one, but it's out there. That we will end up in depositions and doing, you know, dealing with insurance malpractice claims and things like that. And in in that process, I think I th- I think that it's just nice to know that you do the best you can. My viewpoint is, if you have two competing, do the more do the more um, uh, aggressive as far as treatment is concerned. That would be the recommendation. However, it's the patient's decision. So talk to them. Keep them in the loop. You, you know, you could say to them, look, I know mammograms by ACOG are every year, but the U.S. PSTF recommendations are every two years. So there's discrepancy even within the industry, whether it's needed every year. And what do you think? Let them make the decision. Don't, don't be the one to say, yeah, let's do it every year. Or, hey, let's do it every two years. And let them be the one to make the decision, and then document that you told them about both, and that uh, you know you recommended that you follow the more stringent annual, and then go from there. That helps get you out of that standard care. And I'm using that as an example, but you can kind of see how it's a it's a good one because you look at it. And s- I mean, they, they're, it's so widely varied, and like self breast exams or self testicular exams, the, the USPS says USPS says USPSTF says don't even do them, don't even teach them, don't waste your time. Well, ACOG still says do them for breast exams, and I'm pretty sure there's a urological version that's going to be saying do the same thing with testicular exams. So it's up to you, but you know that kind of gives you an out, so you can say, well, I follow this recommendation, and that's just just as justifiable, and it's all bricks of evidence in a, in a lawsuit. And you, that's what we're trying to do is is give enough bricks that they can't break down and take your license away, make you make you pay a lot of money to them. So those are the, the main things about the standards of care. And again, the, the three prongs, knowing what this means is that that malpractice and tort are the same thing. It gives you a better insight when you're talking to patients in what you should be charting. If you're if the hairs on your back of your neck are standing up saying, I don't know if I should trust this person or if something's just really hinky about this this case I'm going to chart more on them. I'll take the extra five minutes and put a little more in in the chart about these people um, and their decisions and you know quotes about what they say and you know I'll quote what their response is to you know what, what do you think about this and I'll put in quotes what they say and that way not only does it remind me what they say and how we reacted to it but if something's not right I'm going to document the crap out of it and that's that's going to be the 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 hardest part about being a new NP is it's going to slow me down, but I think it's a good practice. I really do. It, it only takes one lawsuit for you to say, you know what, for the rest of my life, I'm going to document better. So those are those are kind of my thoughts about malpractice, uh, tort. There's a ton about insurance that I could get into and how um, how they handle this and negotiate the, these these claims and things. And the process of how it happens, but it's it's a really cumbersome discussion. It might be worth having somebody with me, just sitting down, and we can just kind of talk about malpractice insurance and tail coverage and all that stuff, and when it applies and kicks in and that kind of stuff. So, hope this was beneficial. I know it's kind of hard when I'm driving because it's hard to formulate thoughts for me when I'm driving, especially on windy roads and the back roads. But 
it's been fun. I'm having a great time doing this. I, I, if anybody's getting anything out of this, I'd love to hear it. But if you're not, I'm still having a blast. So um, if you're listening, keep listening. If you're not, try it out and see what you think. And you know, maybe try some of the other episodes too. There's going to be a lot of legal heavy stuff in the first part because that's what I really know. And until I get kicked in, I'm, I'm toying with the idea. I think it's, give me some feedback on this. I'm thinking about adding in to every show the hypothetical of the day, like a patient hypothetical. Somebody comes into the office with X, Y, or Z symptoms. What is it? What do you do with it? And how do you treat it? And um, and then answer it on the next show. So, you know, I would ask the question, give the hypothetical today, and then, you know, if I'm doing another show tomorrow, here's what I would do for that, que- you know, that patient, and give people a chance to respond on the f- Facebook page about what they would do, and uh, maybe that's a, a good interactive way to get people engaged in uh, listening and, and giving feedback. But um, find me on Facebook, The NP Dude. You can get me on my website. Please leave comments below the podcasts. Uh, it's thenpdude.com. Share this with your friends. That's the only way this is going to get out there. There's a ton of nurses out there that don't listen to podcasts. There's a ton of people that are just looking for something to listen to that's different than the news. It's so depressing anymore. Why listen to it? I had one, one of my, my undergrad uh, nursing student uh, colleagues put a post about not liking you know, all the news, and I put a response, then listen to this instead. So uh, you guys can do the same. Share it. Share it from my Facebook page. You can also go to my webpage and share it directly from there, too. So um, you can always copy the link and add it in. Tell everybody you want. Then uh, I appreciate you guys listening. Thanks, and talk again soon. This is the NP Dude.